Wake up, buyer payer people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of joe and say hello to Jim and Michelle Rhodes on the Buy Here, Pay Here morning show. Take it away, you two. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Oh, it's Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah. Good. Welcome, folks. It is. It's Friday. And this is the, um, yeah, next week this time we will be in a turkey coma. That's right. (laughs) There's a chance we're going to do our Friday broadcast as a recorded, Mm -hmm. a pre-recorded. We'll see. We have guests uh, for the weekend, so we'll see. I, I, um, we love joining everybody every, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday live. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I'll probably be up and giggling with my best friend and drinking coffee about nine o'clock. Well, that'd be fun to bring to the morning show. Yeah, that that would be. I mean, you know, it's scary. Yeah, that would really test. Yeah. The viewership. So, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. a quick update we got um, on Monday, we have Stephen Karstens, another CPA accountant, is going to join us on Monday. Uh, and we're going to talk about capital markets. What uh, Stephen and his firm seem to have a, a good deal of insight into kind of the movement of money, if you will, mm-hmm. and especially at the top of the capital market. So, I want to talk about um, that in particular and what it means to the typical buy here, pay here dealer. If anything, yeah. So we'll yeah. cover that on Monday, and then we've been we've been chatting about some topics for next Wednesday, right? And uh, Jim's like, "Do we have to?" <laughs> I got. Something. I said, "Let's do gratitude," and he's we like, we, "We could. We might also have a special guest. We might, <laughs> we have, might have, have a special, special guest on oh, really? Wednesday. So Did stay you tuned. Talk to me about that. Right? No, no, oh, I don't tell okay. you everything I'm doing. So I, no, well, he no. doesn't, which makes yeah. it keeps things really fresh. Yeah. Um. All righty. So today we have, I'm going to go ahead and we don't have anything else, right? Nope. Okay. So today we have Mr. Mr. Hugo Sanchez. Hello, Hugo. How are you? Good morning, guys. (laughs) One of the things I love, Hugo, about the morning show is I get to bring smart people. I'm bringing two smart people. I got Michelle and I got you here this morning to help with the the tough questions. So welcome. Glad to have you here from Houston, Mm -hmm. Texas. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we got uh, kind of a, a rich topic to dig into today. We were going to talk about RFCs. Mm-hmm. And I just had a had a new dealer the other day in a meeting ask me, because I kind of glazed over the RFC. Are you familiar with RFC? And no, what is it? You know, so I had to kind of go through the backstory on why it matters and mm-hmm. and so on. So I thought for this morning, what we do first is kind of dig into for those who aren't familiar with a related finance company, why don't we start there, Hugo? You want to just tell them what it is and why it's necessary? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that the buy here, pay here space, we're doing a lot of, you know, the financing and, and all that good stuff. And uh, the IRS has said that the amount financed has to be picked up as income. We can't be on a true cash basis where we're only going to report and pay taxes on uh, the cash that, that that we receive that ends up going to the bank, right? Wait, let me stop. Uh, stop you. Yeah. What, what? Say that again <laughs> about we're not allowed. We're not allowed to do cash basis. So I think Correct. the people I talk to just don't even recognize, or they're kind of kind of skirting some stuff. And so let's let's dig into that a little bit. Let's make right. sure we, we can't so, do cash basis. So because of that retail installment contract, um, the IRS actually views that promissory note, that promise to pay that you have from your customer. They see that as a cash equivalent. Mm-hmm. That is that piece of that signed piece of paper is cash in the eyes of the IRS. <clears throat> One of those reasons is because you can go to a third party 
<clears throat> and turn that into cash. Now we know if you finance 10 grand, you're not going to get 10 grand, right? right? A prime loan, there's a discount, all that good stuff. Um, but the IRS says, hey, you can very easily turn that piece of paper into cash. It is a cash equivalent. And so even though you haven't seen the money, you've got to report it as income in the year of the sale. Okay. So that's what, you know, in our industry, people refer to the paper profit or phantom profit. That's that. IRS thinks it's real is what right. I'm hearing you say, is that they treat it as real. Correct. Yeah. We use the term phantom income all the time. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think um, one of the things I'm seeing, it just came up in a, in a group meeting the other day is mm -hmm. what people were asking about. We were talking about um, months to break out. You know what I mean by that? It's like the number of months it takes in payments to recover the risk mm -hmm. in the contract. So a right. lot of these dealers are, some of them are still under 12 months, but some of these dealers are like 18 months before they see their first nickel of profit right. from a cash standpoint, right? And so that's painful to have to pay all that income tax in the first year. So that's why the related finance company came about. So you want to tell us kind of how that works? What it does. Right. So we take, we create this separate entity and it's got to be considered an arm's length transaction, right? So it's got to be its own entity, its own licensing. Um, you its know, own door too, right? Its own door. Um, Ideally, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and there is an IRS checklist that, you know, that some of the things that they look at and then an audit to kind of verify that this is an arm's length third party transaction. Mm -hmm. um, but what the RFC does uh, doesn't necessarily, um, it's just a tax deferral, right? So done correctly, you sell those notes over to your related finance company at a discount. And we, we always ask that you get a third party bid and, you know, you can't, you can't just say, oh, it's a flat 40% or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we ideally like to get a bid on the entire portfolio where they don't just cherry pick notes mm -hmm. and use that, or at least as a starting ground for what our discount is going to be, where we sell those notes from the dealership to the finance company. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, if done correctly, um, the again, it's a tax deferral. So it's going to turn your tax answer and it's going to line it up a little bit more with collections than having all of this uh, tax up front at the beginning of the deal. When again, like you said, we're months, we're over a year away from even breaking even on the deal. Um, and so by using the RFC, we're able to kind of kick the tax can down the road a bit um and again match it up a little more with collections and that's because a finance company is taxed differently it doesn't experience income until it collects payments right correct so there uh, the finance company is simply just picking up uh the the in, the interest income right the finance income um and then that discount income um so you get an upfront let's let's just use 30 30 percent in our in our example here you get a 30 percent deduction on the sell of the notes on the dealership that the dealership can can take that loss on sale of the notes in that year, right? In the year of the sale of the vehicle, mm -hmm. so they get a 30% deduction for selling the notes at a discount. Okay. That 30% doesn't turn into income on the finance company until that collection happens. Right. So that 30% discount is amortized as income uh, over the life of that loan. Gotcha. So, so that's one of the reasons why I mean, most people that are starting an RFC, it's, it's kind of something you can do at the 11th hour. Correct. So as, as long as, again, as long as the entity exists, as long as all the right licensing in place uh, is, is there and we have a capital source, right? We want to be able to pay for those notes because you're not going to sell the notes to a third party that's not going to pay you for them. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, again, we want the transaction to be done correctly. Um, but ideally, you know, in that first year, it's it's my it's my tax heaven right there. Um, <laughs> in that first year, we are able to just sell the notes 
on December 31st at 11.59 p.m. right before you go, you know, do your midnight kiss and um, you still get that deduction, that loss on solo notes all in that for that year. Right. right. When we're, I'm assuming here we're talking about a calendar year taxpayer, of course. Yeah. But, yes. That's, um, not, that's not my definition of tax heaven. Like you, <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing your midnight kiss standing in front of your DMS software. I mean, come on, we could do better. Oh, honey, look what we just saved. <laughs> Disneyland. It's so much fun. What are you talking about? So, you know, but we've got, we've got a little bit of wiggle room there on how much notes we sell exactly when we sell them. Yeah. So it's just, it's the perfect tax planning opportunity. And of course, years two three and four the rfc is always great as well right. but in that year one you're you uh-huh. know pretty much refer deferring 100 percent of that of that tax or right. a yeah bit, that discount without you know, having to pick up any discount income yeah. yeah it's really interesting we we um one of our uh niches niche, did i say that right um is putting new dealers into business. So we go through this mm-hmm. with, with all of them. And it's, it's like, you know, they'll uh, mm-hmm. like, if they're starting their business in October or November, it's like, mm-hmm. let's wait until next year. But, um, but it's, it's one of those things that, that we, in, in an engagement is that, is that we will help them do that. And, and it's just, um, it's interesting, uh, you know, when you're doing cash flow modeling, which is what, something we do at the very beginning, is you talk about all the cash that's needed to buy the car and to do the thing and the, all the stuff and and get yourself into business and taxes are like that's that's big chunk and we were just talking this morning about a future podcast that we wanted to do yeah, I got, on let's, how let's that run moves that the scenario needle. by Hugo yeah. at the end of the conversation here because I don't want to yeah. get away from RFCs yeah. at the moment. In fact, I want to come back Hugo and and I didn't prepare you for this question so if we need to answer it later in the comments or something we can we can dig in a little deeper. But on this matter of, I want to emphasize the word related in the RFC thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I know there's some rules around common ownership. Are you familiar? Like, why? why what's the significance of related? Right. So, so for the most part, it's, um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what the percentages are, but you're absolutely right. It has to do with the common ownership uh, of the entities. Okay. Yep. And that's just, you know, again, the, the arms link thing and we have to satisfy that. And so why, why would the IRS care? Because it's a, it's, it's a tax strategy and it can look like a false tax strategy if we don't do it correctly. Yeah. So we just, so the other thing I want to throw a quick mention in here, if, you know, when we meet dealers that are new, we will tell them, look, you're either going to do leasing or you're going to do a related finance company at some point, if you're doing any kind of volume. You know, it's just a natural tax strategy. So leasing, lease dealers who are doing lease here, pay here, don't need a related finance company because leases are taxed differently than, than a traditional buy here, pay your retail installment Mm -hmm. contract. So, you know, we, there's a lot to, to kind of flesh out there, but the reality is if dealers are doing any kind of volume, um, you know, when you say any kind of volume, um, I'd like you to be a little bit more specific on that because I mean, someone who's been in business for a lot, it's like, we do five deals a month and we are rocking it. Yeah, is that, I'll, I'll I, let, I, I, what I'll is let any Hugo kind of answer about that? My answer is different than it might've been 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Hugo, what do, what do you think? What's, what's so a- we typically recommend the RFC or at least start talking to a CPA about setting up the RFC. Once you hit about half a million in principal receivables, right? Mm-hmm. At that half point, a million in principal receivables. Right, right. Okay. At that point, selling the notes and, and the volume that you're most likely doing at that point, it's beneficial and the the benefits out because there are absolutely additional administrative costs, right? There's a whole nother entity to run. Uh, there's a whole nother tax return and, and set of financial statements you've got to put together, et cetera. 
Um, so at about half a million principal AR, that's when it's worth kind of the additional headaches and hassles and administrative costs of running all that second company. Um, it, it, you know, offsets your tax bill enough to make it worth it. Yeah. And that headache factor can be a real thing, but that's part of why my answer is different today than it was years ago, because it, the software makes it easier now than it once was. And keep in mind, Hugo, when I started my dealership in 05, I wasn't familiar. I set up an RFC in 06 or 11, I can't, or 07, I can't remember, but, but I had to get in there and learn all the, the accounting, right? It was, right. you know, all these numbers moving back and forth between the entities. And I had to kind of learn. And I, I jokingly told people over the years, I ended up learning more doggone RFC accounting than I ever wanted to know, you know, but it's like you had to do it as a dealer to understand your business and kind of understand how that, how that stuff is moving. But I want to break down a little bit. And by the way, for our folks that are tuning in that um, have an existing RFC and they're kind of looking for close of year strategies, we'll kind of cover that in a minute. I want to break down a little bit further because some of these things also would be a factor with established dealers. One of the things that I remember many years ago, having a conversation with a dealer, very intelligent, you know, large operation. And we had a kind of a back and forth dialogue around this thing about the benefit that you enjoy in an RFC. And I was sort of making the case in that conversation that, you know, a dealer would enjoy the most benefit in the first year that they experience that. And so bear with me part of the thinking there is obviously if you and i start a buy here pay your dealership in houston texas we're going to have pretty good profits on the books in the first year right we're going to until we do something to discount the notes we're going to have quite a bit of profit on the books and then but if we continued into the second year without establishing rfc now now repo losses start to happen and so the losses that we would experience in year two are going to start to offset some of the new income that we on the new contracts so my my theory that I sort of brought forward is that dealers, even though there's always ongoing benefit, I felt like the maximum benefit would be enjoyed in that first year. Do you, you follow that logic? Absolutely. I think it's it's the biggest benefits come from one of two years. Um, number one, I agree 100%. It's in that first year, right? Because again, you you get to take that loss on selling notes uh, right. without having to pick up any discount income on the finance company. Right. Um, and the other one is when you just have a very explosive um, uh, growth in your portfolio in just one year, right? Go going back to a couple of years ago when these dealers were selling their cars left and right, and they were showing quite a bit of profit. Um, years like that, it's also very beneficial just because you you can take a bigger, you know, more growth that year, more sales that year means more finance and a bigger loss on selling notes in that particular year. So it might be a bigger benefit, but all the years in between. Are a pretty are a pretty substantial benefit. Correct, you. absolutely. It's, it's kind of complicated to explain verbally, but it's you know right. better known graphically. But the reality <laughs> is, yeah, they're going to enjoy. They're going to discount income every year that yeah. they have new contracts, mm -hmm. and so they're going to move that off of their dealership side. And so I think one of the things too that we see in in doing that is. You know, as you said, arriving at the discount that first season is going to be basically you want to uh, you want to get some bids, external yeah. bids to arrive at the real value of the portfolio. Right. So, I mean, you know, you'd mentioned 30 percent. Yes. So and that's that's number is then typically based on when you have someone valuate your portfolio, what kind of discount are they going to ask for? Is that how are we arriving at 30 percent? Right. So. 30% is kind of our internal starting point. Um, we do ask dealers to go get a bid, and so it can be a little higher, a little lower. Um, and that's a great tax, or I guess, planning opportunity this year. <clears throat> Market's been a little crazy. The bulk buying market, you know, hasn't been great the last six months. 
And so <clears throat> there could be an argument to increase that discount a little bit more because if we go to a true third party and sell those that paper, we're not going to get anywhere 70 cents right now on the dollar. Um, and so we can actually adjust our discount, well, you know, a little it's, bit more. I have one more question. Um, and this is like, this is basic. <laughs> That's what we do here. Go ahead. Basic elementary. So why, I, what is the reason that notes end up being discounted when that's evaluated? Because we know we're not going to collect all of it. Okay. So it's because you know, you're not going to see all these notes go to the full term. And so it's basically probably, I mean, does it have anything to do with the market and how often, or is it per, per dealer or whatever, you know, cause a, a dealer can have a, a lower repo rate or a higher repo rate than somebody else. So was, is that one of the factors that would determine all that? of it? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's, you know, we know it's subprime lending. So even, you know, some of these bulk buyers will look at what your underwriting looks like. Um, you know, if you do absolutely zero underwriting, there's, you know, Hey, you've got, a pulse. you know, yeah, yeah you've, you've got a pulse. We'll sell you a car. Um, <laughs> you know, the discount on that is going to be a little bit higher because there's just no real underwriting done. Right. Versus somebody that's maybe using a scoring model or they're a little tighter on their underwriting, et cetera. They could, they could, you know, negotiate a slightly better discount um, that benefits them a little bit more and get a little more money in their pocket because those notes might do a little bit better. Um, but it's, yeah, basically just, you know, we know we're not going to collect at least a third of what we sell. Um, and that's exactly where the discount's coming from. If you look, you know, the, the mortgage industry does this as well, um, mm -hmm. but they've got a little bit better collateral, right, that they can uh, repossess, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. So like, if you look at mortgage notes, they're going to sell right at 100 percent or so there's not a big discount for them whatsoever whereas our industry just doesn't work that way yeah and i think you said you know we know it's subprime but it is it occurs to me that some uh, inexperienced irs auditor might not recognize that we're in subprime and so we have to be able to lay that out lay right we have to tell that story mm -hmm. in our our uh, <clears throat> excuse me our defense of whatever discount you know we're choosing there because <laughs> we all know with the irs you're guilty till you're proven innocent. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, during audits, I sometimes have to spend half my time teaching the auditor how to do their job and, you know, stuff like that, because yeah, they absolutely don't understand what's going on a lot. So, very often. Yeah. So I want to get back to one that we hear from time to time and we're over here, you know, we sometimes have to lean in the microphones and say, we're not lawyers or we're not CPAs, <laughs> right? So we, we have to disclaim, but we talk to dealers sometimes and they're saying that they're their CPA is doing some sort of loss reserves that they don't have an RFC, but they're doing these loss reserves. So can you talk to us about that? Are there specific provisions around that? So the IRS does not like estimates, mm -hmm. right? You can't, you can't really deduct estimates. Um, and so typically if you're on the gap basis for an audit or something like that, um, there is just like a, a reserve. That's a nice flat round number. Um, but we actually, when we prepare the tax return, we don't turn around and deduct that same number, right? We go based on what actually happened, not estimates or CECL calculations or anything like that at all. Yeah. Um, but typically, you, we, we absolutely have to deduct what actually happened, not what is probably going to happen. And so when you do like a flat 30% or something like that, uh, the IRS does frown upon that. Yeah. So one of the things we do, Hugo, with clients that we have like an ongoing relationship with, especially if it includes data reporting and that sort of thing, one of the things we'll do is we'll track portfolio performance. And I typically take 12 months worth of historical performance results and we will then 
project or extrapolate a 12, 24, and 36-month roll forward that says, so I was having fun thinking, you know, if you go, you had an audit coming up with one of your clients and you suddenly fell ill, you know, and I had to step in in your spot, <laughs> one of the things I would be doing is saying, look, this is the most we can expect to yield from this portfolio based on the historical collection results, right? And of course, here we are having this conversation in late 2023, we're seeing dealers have you know, increasing repo rates. We're right. seeing, you know, we, we see the mm -hmm. data that says bankruptcies are up 17%. And so it begs the question, I mean, what kind of adjustments then are we looking at for dealers that are facing the close of the year? What kind of measures would you be recommending that they take? And let's don't wait till, you know, the 28th day of December, you know, what, what steps can we be taking now to make sure that we've done If you already have an RFC. Already have an RFC okay. and we're, we're looking at some close of the year corrections. Yeah, so I think the first thing I touched on already, um, but it would be adjusting that discount. Mm -hmm. The market has absolutely changed over the last 12, 18 months or so. Um, and so maybe getting a fresh uh, bid on those portfolios and get an idea of what that discount income is, mm -hmm. um, or, or I'm sorry, what that discount should be uh, based on your existing portfolio will make an absolute tax difference right now. Mm -hmm. um, another thing would be to even maybe stop selling notes from your dealership to the RFC, right? If we've if we've kind of got enough repos that's offsetting a good amount of our income that we've made for the year, mm -hmm. why sell more notes and why uh, take a bigger loss on selling deductions if we don't need it, right? We can push that into 2024, 2025 once the market starts improving a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, absolutely knowing uh, how many notes to sell and when to stop selling notes um is is one of the bigger things uh, that's uh, you know when you said to get it get your uh your portfolio um have someone do a bid like this is what it's worth um i'd like to officially apologize to everyone out there that does that because uh you know, you know it's like yeah what you did you tell them michelle Huh? I'm apologizing because they're going to get they're going to get this influx of people that say, hey, would you do a bid on my portfolio? I, I try to give them, you know, we're we're friendly with lots of people that do it in the industry. And I try to tell them, hey, look, and, and my, what most of them have said to me is, look, we don't mind doing it. You know, we know we're probably not going to do business on this deal. I get that it's you know, you're, you've kind of got your own reasons for doing it. Um, but they're also sometimes willing to do it just because it's an opportunity to do business in the future. If that sure. dealer is ready to sell notes, sure. they've already established communication with them. They already have some of their information. So yeah, smart. Sorry, guys. I know it's a little extra work, but you know, we're, well, it's, we're it's, playing it's, the longer long term game here, right? It's the right. ten year approach to right. it. Right. <laughs> it's the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. Some dealers may mm -hmm. develop a need to sell next month, and they'll have an idea what mm -hmm. the process is like. And, and they'll the, already have a relationship. Yeah. Too, so. I think it's yeah. kind of interesting, though. You know, if if we got bids back from three different bulk buyers, those numbers would vary a little bit. And I just find it interesting that you know their their own criteria, their grading criteria, and and their own threshold for risk would vary a little bit. And so you would see some disparity there amongst the bids, I'm sure. But it's the reason to get multiple ones and be able to justify that. But I think what I'm hearing you say is you kind of, if you're a new dealer and you started in 2022 or whatever, and you, you, you've said you, maybe you started at the standard 30% and now you're going to want to look at portfolio valuation. You're going to want to look at portfolio performance and make sure that you as their CPA can defend mm -hmm. the rate that they have chosen the discount rate. Right. Right. Absolutely. So we look at a little bit of everything. Again, we want to treat it as a true third party transaction. Um, we want to see that, you know, the discount makes sense. We want to see the RFC paying its fair share of expenses and, you know, existing as its own company. It's not like the dealership's paying 100% of everything. 
Um, we want to see, you know, uh, making sure that it just it makes sense, right? And, and one of the big things is we want to see that the finance company is paying for the notes, right? Um, again, if you go and sell these notes, um, you aren't going to want to just get paid little by little over the next 24, 36, whatever months um, as, as the finance company is collecting on it. You're going to want some of that cash up front. Yeah. Uh, so we want to see that, you know, that intercompany balance and that the finance companies has the money and the capital to put that back into the dealership. Gotcha. That's good stuff. I think, you know, you answered my questions, Michelle. There's, there's one thing more. that Jim has on the bottom of oh, our, yeah. cause we, you know, our we notes, like we take notes, notes yeah. and you know, this is like the stuff, horror stories yeah, I mean, by RFC Hugo Sanchez. We should have brought you on, on how <laughs> Um I'd say I actually have one that's, by not using an RFC, we were stuck, right? We had a dealer that OCCC uh, was just running crazy, crazy behind on processing licensing. Um, and the dealer started the process a little bit too late in the year, last year. Um, so the RFC didn't have the right licensing to uh, be able to purchase the notes. Mm. Uh, and so we were stuck with an ugly tax answer, right? Mm. You know, we had no RFC to sell the notes to, and so everything stayed on the dealership side. Um, so that was a little bit of a horror story, right? Um, yeah. if, you're, if you're gonna get started with the RFC for 2023, my recommendation would be uh, as soon as we're done here, go and start making the right phone calls and doing all that. It all depends on state licensing. And uh, yeah. I've, I've had some mixed stories from uh, the OCCC. Somebody recently told me that they got their stuff back in about a month. Another person did tell me, hey, they're still back up to 90 days again. So in Texas, it's kind of hit or miss from what I understand. Um, so, you know, depending on what state you're in, it may or may not work. You just, again, just important to get those licenses by December 31st. Well, let's plan um, to uh, have this conversation in September next year. So <laughs> Perfect. Because you're right, the licensing delays would be yeah. among the significant things. And then one of the things we see is, you know, we're currently working with a client who's in the middle of a software switch. And part of the motivation of the software switch was, you know, be able to manage the RFC better. And, but, right. but we're, we're, when a pressurized situation because the onboarding and the, the build period of the software is going to put us right up against the deadline. And so we're, it's uncomfortable. I think it's better for obviously for dealers to prepare and plan for that. But I think the first yeah. thing for today, we just wanted to know that this yeah. is a, a strategy that's available. Sure. It's common. The IRS totally allows it. There's a very special provision for this. And so it's, it's important yeah. for people to know that's a, that's an option. And, and so, you know, for those folks who are properly licensed and maybe, you know, need to make some adjustments, they can still do that at the close of the year. I have one other thing I want to talk to you about before you go. Did you have something, Michelle? Um, I, it, well, it was kind of like one of the drums that we beat all the time is be really careful about what DMSs you choose. Because because some are easier and some are not, mm -hmm. and um, and you know they they uh, typically what our experience has been is you get what you pay for. So mm -hmm. some of the least expensive DMSs out there are going to be the hardest to yeah. work with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some of them are a little more RFC friendly than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So one of the things we've done, Hugo, over the years, Michelle mentioned earlier, is kind of we we satisfy with some clients what I call liaison role, where we try mm -hmm. to sit between the dealer and their software and their CPA, who often is not familiar with this whole RFC thing. Yeah. And so there's one more reason that, look, if you're in a place where you've got, you know, a pretty significant operation, uh, and I would say even less, you know, gosh, what what's what's a tax bill? cost you know like don't, maybe don't make that mistake <laughs> let's let's uh let's hire people who know 
the stuff. And obviously you folks at Butler and Sanchez, you guys know this RFC stuff. Well, you live in that space all the mm -hmm. time. It's a very much a focus of your business. And so we just know the value of hiring somebody who's yeah. a specialist. And so we know that would be true. Wait, well, Jim has said he's, he's like, he's not an accountant, but he's trained a lot of accountants. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. I have to explain. That sounds like I'm a real smart. Like, so I'm, it's I'm, I have had to educate some CPAs on the RFC because they're not familiar where, where with it. Yeah. Find this arm's length checklist yeah. and all this stuff. And so yeah. we've had to kind of walk them through that. And we, we have gotten quite familiar with the RFC accounting and how those dollars move back and forth. And so it's really important for, because even if the, even the dealer now understands the RFC after watching the morning show and the CPA is starting to get some idea, they still don't really understand how it's going to work in the software. Right. Right. So there's still some yeah. stuff to figure out there. And so we just we try to make sure we can help people kind of, yeah. you know, uh, bridge that gap and bring it all together. So my question, are we ready, Michelle? Did you have something? I, else? Well, I wanted to. Well, before you ask your question, Hugo, if people need to find you, well, how's the best way for them to find you? Uh, easiest website to remember, bhphcpa.com. Super easy. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to put that, that. BHPHCPA, <laughs> then, and I'm going to throw that up there so that if you are in need of uh, Hugo's amazing and their and the firm's talents, yeah, this is where you go. That's a good place to go. So yeah. here's a question for you, Hugo. I was working with a, some cash flow modeling with a new client the other day, and I have this cash flow tool that I built. So it's kind of five year projections. Of course, we're mostly when we work with a new dealer, we're super focused on the first year is brand new for them and they're trying to figure out how much cash before it gets cash positive positive. and one of the things i recognize in a way that I'll, I'll bring it back to a morning show and show it on the screen one day but in working with the modeling i had all the numbers static across the five years same selling price same cost of car you know all the numbers are the same locked in across the five-year model and i went to the model and in the first year i increased the selling price only just rent, same cost of car, same down payment, all the rest of the structure the same. I just increased the selling price. And you probably can guess that the cash the required of the dealer went up. <laughs> so it's like, so think about, you know, from a cost, we think about that. Well, our cost in the car is the same. Our down payment, our cash that we have there is the same. So it took me a minute. I mean, all the years I'm doing it, I'm like, well, why did that number go up? All I did was move the <laughs> selling price. And so it's it's sales tax and income tax. Right. You know, all we do, we're creating more markup, which mm -hmm. is back to this phantom profit, right? That phantom income. We're not going to collect it. And it mm -hmm. costs us more. And this would be true every year, right? It's, it's, it's easy to illustrate on the screen in that one scenario where everything else is static. Right. But when I change that, when I increase the selling price, the cash required to run the operation went up. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, you know, the additional sales tax, the, or, you know, the additional taxes, income taxes, all yeah. that good stuff. Again, on phantom income, it's on cash that we're not going to see for two, three years, mm -hmm. depending on your terms, if we even see it, right? Because again, we know we're not going to see a good percentage of it. Sure. So it, it absolutely makes a difference. And the RFC yeah. obviously helps manage yeah. the income tax, which as we've spent our time talking about here today, would help discount the income. But I'm just saying, even with that discounted place, the, the cash required still went up. Right. So like It's just important for people to mm -hmm. really stop and think about that. And so I think, uh, you know, expect to see that as a topic for a future morning show. Absolutely. Um, okay. So if you all are looking for a, a CPA, um, bhphcpa.com is where y'all need to go. We do know from a lot of our clients that it's like, we've had the same PCPA since my dad ran the thing mm -hmm. 20, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 28 years ago, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so if you need some help 
with getting everything organized and and a liaison with your with your CPAs and all of that, give us a call because that's something that we can help. And with. what's what's peace of mind worth? Like we yeah. say that with clients all the time on some of these subjects. It's like, what's peace of mind worth to you? Mm -hmm. You need to ask yourself that. What's it worth to sleep yeah. well at night knowing you're audit ready? You know, <laughs> it's like you know that's, exactly. That's worth a lot. <laughs> so call or text to nine zero three eight one six zero two one six. If if there's something that's for us, that's for um, Jim and Michelle and um, White Hat Coaching because we're changing. And you ha if Octane, you have questions so. we can't answer, we'll give you Hugo's number. <laughs> that work? Well, and, and yeah, and there's, and also if you, if you also are looking for a little bit more information, I know that uh, Hugo and Amanda, or Amanda has been kind of our passion project, the boardroom, the BHPH boardroom, and that there are pieces in there about RFCs as well. And so you can get into um, the boardroom.com. Um, as well and learn a little bit more there. So, um, yeah. Is that right? The boardroom.com? BHPHboardroom.com. Boardroom. Thank you. BHPHboardroom.com. Um, so head there as well. And the videos there as well. Yeah. You yeah. can get a little bit more information and, and uh, probably cement some of the things we talked about today. Yeah. So, Hugo, thank you, sir. We yeah. appreciate you making time to chat. And uh, that was very educational. Yeah. Do you want to stick around for just a second so we can say proper goodbye as soon as we've closed up? Excellent. Thanks, Hugo. Alrighty. Um, good, good information. Yeah. Good yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that when we were talking this morning about this topic is, is, uh, we're, uh, kind of running like that whole, uh, changing the price, how that is different in buyer payer versus leaser payer mm -hmm. too. So, um, alrighty. What else? I can't think of a thing. Just remember we got Stephen Carson's coming to talk about capital and, uh, I think that'll be rich. I know Stephen, you know, based on what we've seen, uh, they're, them out there sharing on social media they've got some insight that i look forward mm -hmm. to you know talking through and kind of get a feel for what's happening and and so so yeah i just think it's interesting we you know we've been around this business a good while we've been through some ups and downs in the economic swings and and oh, yeah. uh, we have plenty of dealers that we know that have lived through it so we want to talk about what it what it means to the typical dealer and and uh, and really we'll end up talking about is this a good time be getting in the buy here payer business we're we're hearing from a lot of people who are looking to get in it even though yeah. cost of cars high economy's tough it's like and suddenly there's a ton of interest in yeah. in the space so it'll be a an yep. interesting conversation with mr carson's on monday <laughs> all right well i am uh it's friday yeah it's time to do Friday stuff. Good. Yeah. Let's go to Friday <laughs> stuff. That's exactly right. Yeah, look at my Friday. All right, list. everybody. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you on Monday with Stephen Carson. Thanks again so much, everybody.